Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, we learn about the Ohio State University's history of and philosophy behind what and how they build on campus. Columbus Underground reporter Brent Warren spoke with Ohio State's Vice President of Planning, Architecture, and Real Estate, Keith Myers, to discuss the overall Ohio State framework plan, the importance of connecting Ohio State to the larger university community, how the COVID-19 crisis is affecting their plans, how Ohio State has evolved over time, and why consistent leadership and vision are needed for productive change. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, the Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored this week by the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, or MORPSI, featuring stories about local and regional partners that envision and embrace innovative directions in economic prosperity, transportation, sustainability, and an inclusive Central Ohio. Morpsey's transformative programming, innovative services, and public policy initiatives are designed to promote and support the vitality and growth in the region. For more information, please visit morpsey.org. Enjoy the interview. Keith Myers, thanks for talking with me today. Keith is the Vice President of Planning, Architecture, and Real Estate at Ohio State. And you've been in that position since 2013. Is that, is that correct, Keith? Yes, it is. Um, and I know before that, you are the founder or one of the founders of the planning and landscape architecture firm MKSK. And you guys worked on a lot of really significant projects in Columbus. And that's something I'd love to talk about some of those if we have time, but I, I did want to start sort of with your role at Ohio State and maybe give us a little bit of, a, of your own background and sort of uh, how do you describe your role at Ohio State? What, what do you do there? Well, as much as anything else, I think, you know, I'm pretty fortunate to lead a pretty talented group here in the Office of Planning, Architecture, and Real Estate. So we have the University Architect, University Landscape Architect, um, we manage um, campus partners, um, and we also manage another um, 501c3 for the university called SciTech, which is involved out on West Campus. Um, and really, I think as much as anything else, what um, I do is um, connect some really talented people with projects that need to be done, and um, just kind of shepherd um, shepherd them through the process. It's you know, as you can imagine, with a big institution, everything here is is a bit of a process, and and there's never a straight line to a solution, any solution. So, um, I just help try and navigate it as best I can. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you've worked on on some big projects that people are familiar with. Um, you mentioned Campus Partners, so there's the the whole 15th and High project and the Arts District, which is under construction now, I believe, kind of. Yeah across the street from that on the campus side of High Street. Any other big ones that people may 
not be aware of? I mean, the big one I want to talk about is West Campus, but okay. we don't have to start there. <laughs> I know there's, there's lots of other things your office has been working on. Yeah, I think there's, you know, we've been working quite a bit. As you can imagine, we'll talk about it in a minute, I suppose, West Campus. But the um, 15th and High has been a big effort. Um, it's um, really um, been a labor of love here in the university, in, in the office. And I, and, um, I think a big potential change for the university is we try and connect the university district neighborhood back to uh, the university with that project. We were um, successful in assembling um, about nine acres um, <clears throat> directly across from the main entrance of the university on 15th. And um, that project is um, under construction now and um, with a couple of um, buildings, um, an office building for our development office. Um, we've rerouted 15th, we've opened up 14th and 16th to full intersections on High Street again. and um, uh, and we're building the home for WOSU. So that's an exciting project. Mm -hmm. Not multiple projects within one. I wasn't really planning on talking too much about 15th and High, but I, I feel like I need to ask a lot of people, I think when they, when they hear Campus Partners, they think about all of the big changes on High Street, some of which you guys are involved with, some of which you're not. And they think about like sort of their ideal, basically when they went to Ohio State, and yeah. what High Street looked like then, <laughs> and how it doesn't look anything like that. And there's, you know, we have lost a lot of the local businesses that were on that stretch. What do you say to people in terms of like, what is that stretch of High Street going to look like? What's your vision for that moving forward? And what do we have to look forward to in the next decade or so there? I can't speak for all of High Street. I mean, we're, um, we focused really on, um, three pulse points um, that were identified in our framework plan, um, the first framework plan back in 2010, but one was at Lane and High when, and that emerged, I think quite successfully with um, the, uh, when we redid the North dorms and then private development sort of filled in the other corners. Um, a, a second has been and remains the gateway um, and uh, at the south end of High Street. And the third is, is what we're um, developing now, which is you know, the main entrance to the university there at 15th and High. Um, <clears throat> when people ask me about the local businesses, um, that's um, a pretty sensitive topic. I mean, we're trying hard to be as, as sensitive to that as we can, but um, you know, there's, um, you know, I went to Ohio State you know, longer ago than you wanna know, and gee, I miss all the businesses that were there. I wish they were there, but um, uh, I didn't go to them anymore, you know? <laughs> and most alumni don't, you know? Um, it's a little awkward being, you know, 40 years old or 50 years old and going down on campus and hanging out, you know, at a campus bar. Um, so, you know, businesses, particularly retail businesses evolve and streets evolve and cities evolve. and um, this is just another part of, um, of that evolution. And um, I, I think it's, um, it's been the way of cities really since the dawn of time and it's no different here. Mm -hmm. Well, I know you guys have, as campus partners have made an effort to get local businesses into the gateway and there, there have been throughout and there are now, there's local businesses there. Is that gonna be a focus with the 15th and high in terms of retail and uh, just sort of 
Is that something that's a goal of the project? It's always a focus, everything that we do here. It's, um, we very much want the projects to have that kind of personality. And oftentimes that what we have to do as a landlord is, um, you know, be as, as interested in the business of our tenants as they are. And, um, you know, n nowhere was that tested more than in this whole COVID crisis. Um, so um, we uh, very much believe that um, uh, we're partners with our tenants. Um, we work hard um, as, to the degree we can. We work hard to help them um, every step of the way, pandemic or no pandemic. And, um, and that's what you have to do for local businesses. And we're pretty committed to that. I mean, that's not to say we're not going to have some credit worthy tenants and things in from time to time, because uh, in order to be able to do that with the local tenants, you need to have a foundation, a financial foundation um, to, to work to work with. So there'll be a mix. But yes, we're pretty committed um, to local tenants. In terms of the outlook for that project at 15th and High, mm -hmm. has it been set back a little bit by the COVID-19 pandemic? Or is it, I mean, I know construction work is still ongoing, uh, but there's a lot of elements to that. I mean, there's a big hotel plan for it. Yeah. Um, is some of that going to be stalled? Yeah, without question, it's, it's had an impact. Um, it's, um, for the moment, we've um, paused the second building um, to the south of the square on the south side of 15th. Um, we're going to reevaluate that in a month. The, the hotel negotiations um, continue. Uh, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to um, come to terms um, with the hotel in the next, you know, six weeks sometime. But, uh, yeah, without question, you know, the pandemic's had an impact. Before we move on, um, the more we talk about 15th and High, the more questions I have. Because, I mean, yeah, I've been following right. it. I live in the, I, I own a house in the university district, and I've been Good. following it the whole time you know, through, through my reporting. Can you talk a little bit about the, because the, I know one of your big focuses is on the public space and like yeah. that main plaza. I don't think people have a sense of what that's gonna be like. When you think about what was there before, it was a little bit of a kind of, there's a corner there and there was some open space, but it was sort of, a lot of it was uh, like a private patio for like for a bar. <laughs> and then there was some other stuff there um, what's the vision? What's that going to look like when this project is all done? Well, one of the, um, I think, advantages of us um, uh, developing 15th, and I should say that there were private development interests looking to develop 15th and High before we got started. Um, so, you know, part of that was going to change one way or the other, but we are able, um, fortunately, to make um, a pretty significant commitment to public space. Um, that's very expensive proposition to do when you look what the acquisition costs of the real estate are. Um, so um, I think that's um, something that um, we're committed to, we're pretty proud we've been able to do. Now the design of that public space um, has been uh, pretty important. I mean all the public spaces, the sidewalks, the alleys. Um, what, what we hope is that um, we, we create, you know, one of the most comfortable um, civic rooms that we can, that, that people um, are comfortable gathering there for celebrations, for um, events, 
Um, but equally, just on a day-to-day -day basis, they're completely comfortable just hanging out, you know, in the square. Um, and um, we've tried to design it uh, so it can accommodate all those things, um, but most importantly, the latter. We really want it to be a place where the neighborhood is as comfortable as the university, um, and it becomes a connection point um, between the university district and the university, which have been you know, tied together really since the founding of the university in 1870. So um, that square, uh, we hope, is um, going to become the catalyst for that. Okay, now I kind of want to turn to West Campus, if that's okay. Sure. And what strikes me about this project is the scale of it, um, but let's just talk a little bit about, this is, we're talking about kind of south of Lane Avenue, west of uh, Kenny Road, is that right? Yes. And yes. this is where people, if they're familiar with that area, there's a lot of uh, like athletic fields there, there's mm -hmm. parking lots, there's, there's a few academic buildings, but it's, it's pretty open now, right? Yeah, it is. And I mean, I'll, I'll just sort of the summary that the, the last time I wrote about this, I think I said, based on what you guys have said at OSU, that that whole area could eventually be filled. There'll, there'll be a new street grid, uh, potentially dozens of new mid-rise buildings and apartments for as many as 4,000 residents. Is that, first of all, is that still the realm of what you're looking at for that space? Well, I think in terms of residents and things, I, you know, that's, that's to be seen. But the, in terms of the scale of development, yes. Um, it's about 270 acres, the uh, area. It's, it's, it's large. But, but you have to go back and sort of understand what West Campus is today, okay? I mean, you know, I, I jokingly refer to West Campus as sort of the junk drawer of the university, okay? So, you know, it's, it's been there for a long time and, you know, over the decades, people get an idea and, you know, they don't know what to do with it, so they stick it out on West Campus. So as a result, it's the repository of all kinds of things, okay? So you go out there and there's, you know, um, satellite arrays, there's, um, uh, you know, a failed idea for a freshman campus, you know, that has been, you know, cobbled together now as research buildings and there's, you know. Um, I didn't know that some of those buildings that was originally going to be a freshman campus. Yeah, well, the idea okay. was that freshmen were too vulnerable to be placed on main campus with everybody else. So they, you know, created University College and um, all of the uh, freshmen were assigned out there until the freshmen figured out they could get the same classes on main campus and they said, forget this, you know, and so that that just failed, you know, and, um, you know, the buildings were designed in the last one of the last major crises this country faced, which was the energy crisis. So, you know, at that time, architects overreacted and designed, you know, they were going to save energy. So they designed a bunch of buildings without windows, you know, that was a great idea. And, you know, so, you know, they're out there and, and that's sort of what we have, you know, it turns out those, you know, without, you know, buildings without windows work okay for research buildings, but, you know, nobody wants to, you know, go to school there, you know, it just, the thing was just kind of a bad idea. So probably, you know, that's, probably wouldn't enjoy doing research in them either, right? Well, you know, <laughs> I, you know, we're so short research space. I think people are glad to have the um, square footage. So 
and, and there's some amazing research I should say out there. If anybody's ever interested, the Bird Polar Institute is just incredible, and um, they do offer tours occasionally. And um, the work that that group is doing and has been doing for a long time on climate change is just fascinating. So I would encourage anybody to go out there and look and see. They've done it. They've made use of of those old uh, former academic buildings, but West Campus has been this you know, this hodgepodge of like stuff and the predominant use on West Campus today is parking. Okay, that's its primary function for the university and it, it, it's it got 40 to 50 acres of parking out there. Wow. Almost 4,500, close to 5,000 cars. Okay, so that's um, that's kind of what it is. And I think, um, as we began to look at it, I mean, one of the things that occurred to us is, hey, this thing's at a tipping point, okay? Like one more bad idea and it's gone, okay? So, um, you know, we got pretty um, focused on, on um, creating a master plan for it and, um, you know, trying to, you know, pull it back from the edge. And, and that's really um, what you see um, today. The first phase of that, is under construction. You know, oddly enough, it's a parking lot and a road, but um, but we need it to um, uh, the sort of checkerboarding that of um, parking that you have to do in order to develop sites sort of underway. And we hope to begin um, construction on um, the first major research building here in a few weeks. And you'll start to see it um, phase one of that emerge. Um, and th those early buildings are right on Kenny. Is that right? Yes, they are. Um, we have the Energy Innovation Center, um, the Interdisciplinary Research Building, and the West Campus Ambulatory Building will all be along um, Kenny Road. So it's pretty significant when you look at sort of, you know, investment and um, these are big buildings. I mean, the research building is like 300,000 square feet. So that is a big building. You know, you'll, you can start to get a sense, I think, from those buildings of what we expect the balance of the West Campus development um, to be. And how, how does that work moving forward? Because the vision is for not just Ohio State buildings, right? I mean, are, yes. are there private buildings mixed in? Absolutely. Are there developers I mean, building those? How does that work? Well, we're going um, to probably identify a development partner or two um, to work with. Um, unlike 15th and High, where campus partners, you know, developed a couple of buildings, we're not going to do the hotel. Um, we're not going to do that. West Campus is way too big. Um, so we'll be looking um, to bring in development partners. We've begun to try and identify um, people that would be capable of that. And, um, you know, we were well into that process when COVID hit and just kind of um, shut us down for a period of time. Uh, we hope, you know, as um, hopefully the pandemic eases its grip um, in a um, in the not too distant future and we can get started up on that again uh, but yes and and we do hope that there's you know i mean our expectation frankly is that there will be um, a fair amount of um, private development out there mm -hmm. and you think there's sort of in columbus in general and in that area specifically there's the demand for like a development of this scale i mean people see people always ask me they see these developments going in like bridge park and Sayota peninsula and they're like how many more of these can columbus take and this 
this West Campus thing is like a lot bigger than a lot of these other ones. I mean, yeah, it is. It's a lot different. Uh, I mean, it's very, very different than some of those. And, and that's, um, I think that's its distinction. Um, as far as how many of these Columbus can, um, can absorb, I think um, the answer is a lot more, you know, um, you know, one of the things I think we have to do is, I mean, one, and what we uh, guard against here is um, making an assessment of the market or anything else in the depths of a, of a worldwide pandemic. Okay. It's probably, you're probably not going to get the best view right now. And you have to look at where things were when we went into this and, and, you know, what you might expect, you know, coming out. Um, and I, I believe that Columbus was on a um, pretty serious growth trajectory going into the pandemic. And I fully believe it'll be on that again when it comes out. Um, so I think the answer to, to that is, you know, we can absorb all of it, the side of Peninsula, all of it. Um, in terms of West Campus, of course, it's quite different because it's focused on um, research and, um, you know, there are different, um, uh, av uh, different focus areas within that. There's, um, you know, biomed, there's, you know, advanced materials, there's, there's a number of research clusters that uh, the university is um, a leader in, and I think, you know, that will attract um, companies and potential partners and things to, um, to come in and help um, develop it. I, I should say, I don't think West Campus is going to develop overnight. It's too big. Okay. I was reminded that the arena district is just building out the last sites of our original master plan, which we did incidentally in 1997. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, and that is, you know, our original, um, the, the original arena district as was defined back then is about 45 acres. Okay. Which is, we have 270. Okay. Right. So, you know, it's going to be people a while. Think of, people think of the arena district as a pretty fast. <laughs> uh, it was. Kind of thing. It was yeah. very right. fast. Right. If you told me in 97, that'd be building out the last sites, you know, 27 years later, I wouldn't have believed it. And, and the same is going to be true at West Camp. So it'll go faster than, than we think, but it's still going to be measured um, the, the full build out of it will be measured in, in decades, not years. Mm -hmm. In terms of that process and how that works moving forward, I just from the perspective of a, of, of a reporter who's mm -hmm. trying to cover this stuff, the things that you guys do at Ohio State, especially when you are building on your own land, mm -hmm. that happens in a way that is different than private development, the stuff that I write about. I mean, that stuff, it goes through kind of a, a, very, a much more public process, it seems to me. I mean, I know you guys have a long process that you're working through, but in terms of people who aren't uh, connected directly to Ohio State, how do they, like, what is the process for that, these big developments moving forward that people can sort of know what's going to happen and have a chance to weigh in on it before mm -hmm. it's already decided and about to be built? <clears throat> Well, 15th and High, of course, was a very public process because, you know, Campus Partners is just that, a partner with the community. And mm -hmm. um, that went through all of the normal hoops that any other project does. We are in front of the University District Commission um, many, many times. Um, oh, yeah, I was, I was there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Um, now, in terms of um, when we're building like in on land that we own out in the West Campus, um, 
you know, we've, we've got a little different situation uh, anywhere on campus. I mean, if we go to build the arts district, okay, that's, um, that's internal to campus. Um, and um, we still have, there's a process that we go through with respect to, you know, connecting to public utilities, making sure the roads all work and all that kind of thing. Um, but we don't go through a public approval process in the same way. Um, and and um, we do, however, go through um, an approval process here at the university. Uh, and that includes um, getting the projects approved at the Board of Trustees, um, which is, of course, public in public um, meetings. And I think if one follows um, the reporting on the trustees and the trustees meetings and things, they'll have a really good idea of, of um, what's on tap and what we're thinking about. We take to the trustees, not just the um, projects once you know, they're designing, but we take planning studies to the trustees, you know, we go through them right. in public session and Right, because so, they're, they're approving money for even just the planning, like very early in the process for these Yeah, and we keep them informed. So the whole framework plan went through the trustees in public session, the um, And any other little studies that we do, transportation plan, those kinds of things, um, we generally brief the um, trustees in public session. The Confluence Cast is sponsored this week by the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, or MORPSI, featuring stories about local and regional partners that envision and embrace innovative directions in economic prosperity, transportation, sustainability, and an inclusive central Ohio. MORPSI's transformative programming, innovative services, and public policy initiatives are designed to promote and support the vitality and growth in the region. For more information, please visit morpsy.org. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit, and I know you've been involved with the Urban Land Institute, and one of the projects of the Urban Land Institute uh, in the last year or so has been the Rapid Five project. Mm -hmm. um, I looked this up, we, we wrote about it in December of last year, which feels like a decade ago, but um, that's when I think you guys released a video that sort of gave an overview of, of what it was. And uh, maybe you, you could just start and tell us what this project is and what the idea behind it is. So it's, um, yeah, it's um, become increasingly interesting, of course, that the pandemic has um, both um, illustrated the need for it and um, sadly enough, slowed down our process um, a little bit in terms of advancing it. But um, you know, the Urban Land Institute works with partners, and you know, one of the um, ideas that has emerged is, um, and, and I can't say it's necessarily a new idea. It's just you know, we've been trying to um, breathe some life into it and maybe package it in a way that's like that's very understandable for the public. The Urban Land Institute is, um, we think, has has a role in helping um, foster um, broader communication around um, or gathering more public support and input for bigger ideas. So, you know, the corridor study was that, and um, the 2050 plan um, was part of that. But this is an exercise to try and understand. We have five major waterways um, that move through Franklin County, um, north to south. Um, the Darby, you know, the Olentangy, um, Soda River, Allen Creek, Blackwood Creek, and the, you know, there's, and you could add Big Walnut to that as well, probably six, but these major waterways moving um, north, south through the region. 
And the interesting thing about them is they're fairly evenly dispersed across the county. Okay. So um, if you could imagine, you know, a, a single system, suspend disbelief for a moment about, you know, what jurisdictions manage what, okay, because I, I, we're not trying to create, you know, but, it, but think of those waterways as a system of public parks and greenways, okay, through the county. Um, it's a pretty interesting concept, you know, that, you know, you think about um, some of the great park systems that the Olmsteads designed, you know, in the early part of the 20th century, the, the Emerald Necklace around Cleveland is a classic example of a really strong interconnected um, greenway and parkway system. And you look at this and you think, holy cow, there's like five of these just evenly distributed across the county. Um, well, what's interesting about that is um, if you're able to stitch them together into one single cohesive vision, then um, you would have a major park system um, throughout this county and several others that would in effect um, be within a mile and a half for two miles of every resident in Franklin County, okay? Um, and, and then you look at it and, and you know, we have, and then say, well, you know, that's a lot of land. You got 80% of both banks of all those waterways is already in public ownership. It's astounding. Um, so it's a really, it's a very real opportunity that exists out there if we can create a vision for it. And that's really what Rapid5 um, is intended to try and do. It's, it's not a master plan so much as it is, you know, the start of a civic conversation about, you know, what kind of potential is this? Fast forward to the pandemic, which of course, uh, one of the things that we have to do in order to, to do this is raise money and that's really hard to do today. Okay, so um, unfortunately we've had to slow it down from where we thought we'd be. Um, but as we emerge from the pandemic, we fully intend to get um, started back up again. And, and, but what the pandemic has done and has illustrated um, in a very real way is the need for this kind of space. If you talk to um, Metro Parks, to Tim or to um, uh, any of the planners at Metro Park and, and you talk about how heavily used they have been in this pandemic, um, it's astounding, okay? And, you know, people have learned new things. They've gone to new Metro Parks, say, hey, this is pretty nice. You know, who knew where Sharon Woods was? But, you know, now that I do and I'm only two miles away, you know, it's pretty cool. And that kind of um, awakening, I think, is what makes this idea um, so interesting. Um, it's, it's really an opportunity that's been there for a long time. What, what we're trying to do is just say, hey, look, why not? You know, because really that's the role of, uh, you know, the ULI and other organizations within the community. It's not, I, I, it's not so much to say what is, um, but really to ask the question of what can be. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm always trying to drill down into specifics. I understand mm -hmm. that this is a like 10,000 foot kind of grand vision and more of a like raising awareness of the potential. But in terms of like people say they hear this concept and they say, oh, well, we already have, uh, you know, we have the greenways, we have the Olentangy Trail. I mean, what else 
what would this bring us that we don't already have or we aren't already working on in, in central Ohio? It, it would be it would be more um, potentially you would expand it, okay, the park system along it um, over a period of years. You would connect existing parks and things to it, okay. And most importantly, what you would do is directly connect neighborhoods to it. I mean, well executed, um, there's great neighborhood uh, portals into this system that may have their own little individualized parks attached um, to the entrances into this that identify with that particular neighborhood and are a reflection of that neighborhood. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot to be gained from from this kind of a system. I. I I don't know if you know Cleveland well, I grew up there, but you know, when you get into the Metro Park in Rocky River, okay, and you get down on Valley Parkway, you can get on a bike or a car or anything, and you can drive that thing forever, you know, all the way around the uh, west side, around to the south side of Cleveland, and you know, never come out. And it's, it's wonderful. And there's mm -hmm. a million things along the way to um, stop, see, do all of that. Mm -hmm. So what should we expect next from that project? What's, what's in, what's in well, the I, that? Yeah, sadly, I mean, it, you know, it's just what I hope is that as we emerge from the pandemic and people can again turn their attention to, you know, from, you know, what am I going to do to kind of survive this, which is, which is, you know, been increasingly important economically and everything else. Uh, we'll be able to quickly raise the funding for it and, um, uh, bring on some um, teams to help create a vision for all of the waterways and and to work with the um, neighborhoods to um, come up with a um, you know a, a vision, which is all we're trying to get to. But we have to raise money for that, and and that's obviously a very difficult thing to do right now. It's you know we have to we have to unfortunately be a little more patient than I like being, but. <laughs> But it's, I've been told to be patient, so I'm being patient. So it's just not a strong suit. So. Okay, I wanted to, you mentioned it earlier, and this is on my list of things to talk about, which is the Arena District, which, as you mentioned, this was like, you know, over 20 years ago that that plan helped kind of came together, and you were a big player in that, and sort of in that vision and coming up with the plan, which led to the arena district that we know today being built. And I, I think it's interesting because I know a lot of people who follow development today in Columbus who maybe weren't around at that time, they didn't live here, or they were too young to, to sort of notice. They look at the arena district now and they see, okay, this is a, it's, a, it's built around an arena, it's a mixed use development. You have retail and restaurants, you have a nice pedestrian path going through it, you have a mix of office and apartments. That's like what we see built everywhere now basically but at that time my impression is this was something pretty new for columbus and there was skepticism my understanding from just the idea of like that you're going to get people to live there <laughs> is that right i'm just i'm i kind of want to go back in time and and hear from you what it was like getting making that happen well um you know <laughs> You got to remember, in in 1997, um, nobody wanted to be in cities. Okay, everything was happening out in the burbs. Okay, so the idea of, um, you know, taking a penitentiary, 
okay, and knocking it down and, you know, building a place where people are going to live was pretty radical, okay? And, and to be fair, I mean, honestly, um, uh, it was um, Brian Ellison Nationwide who, you know, believed in it, okay? And Nationwide Insurance, who had made a commitment to the city decades before, when they built the um, their their headquarters at the north end of downtown, which was desolate at the time, and for a long time that building was surrounded by gravel parking lots, mm-hmm. um, and um, but they had had a choice. They owned land up on Twenty Three in Delaware County, which was their other choice for a headquarters. Oh, okay. that's interesting. And they chose to stay in Columbus and in downtown Columbus. And they did that in the 70s when, you know, let me tell you in the 70s, cities were not good places. Um, you know, we, we love them now and, and some of us have always loved them, but you know, you could go back and look at the garbage strike in New York, go look at the pictures, go see what cities were like. They were not great. Nationwide committed to it and they, and they doubled down um, with the arena district um, and the arena. So it was, um, it was a desolate site. It was primarily gravel parking um, and, a, and a penitentiary. Um, it was difficult to imagine what it might be. Um, the first, you know, uh, when I first um, sat down to work on the master plan, I had visions of, you know, this amazing little tight little urban, you know, neighborhood, and this is just gonna be amazing. and. You know, I quickly realized that, um, you know, what was going to shape that as much as anything else was parking, as much as I hated it, you know, and um, we had to figure out how we were going to manage the parking, both the background parking that was already there on the site that needed to needed a place to live and and the new parking. Um, so once we we settled on that and you know, committed to sort of burying the parking, you know, behind the buildings, um, the plan began to emerge. And I'll say this, the the original sketch that I did, which I later gave to Brian, um, really doesn't look that different from what it is today. You know, the park was there, you know, the squares were there, the, you know, the extension of um, Nationwide Boulevard was there. And, you know, for where you know it the master plan was good it was it was a good master plan um it's played out obviously that's how you can tell whether a master plan is good or not it's not an evaluation by you know learned architects and planners you know it's did it work is the um is the true evaluation of any plan but it wasn't rocket science you know as i got into it um i realized that um in order for this to work um, any good urban design plan or any master plan is just about creating connections, okay? We had to create connections on multiple levels. We had to connect to the neighborhoods. We had to connect back to downtown. We had to connect to streets. We had to connect pedestrian ways. And we had to connect the river back up into um, the district, which is what the park was. The McPherson Park was an effort to try and accomplish that. And after that, you know, it just sort of fell into place. You know, but which makes it sound easy and it's not. I was trying to explain to somebody the other day that these things take a long time. It's taken two decades, two and a half decades, and it takes consistent leadership and vision at the top to get that done. 
And, you know, I often think if Brian Ellis had been 56 when we started that instead of 36, mm. I have no idea what the arena district would be, but it wouldn't be as good as it is. Yeah, because Brian Ellis is still there today. Yes. Working on and, that, yeah. And it, it takes that kind of leadership and consistency of vision to make a project of that magnitude come together. And I think that's really interesting how Nationwide early on made the decision to build their office building there and they could have gone in a whole different direction. With that arena plan, I've always wondered what was sort of the other vision? Like, what was the other plan on the table? Was it about building an arena with parking next to it? Or what did that Yeah, you can find it. Um, the Heinz plan, it's out there if you look. Um, the Heinz plan for the arena had um, uh, an arena kind of stuck in um, a sea of asphalt parking. That was, that was the plan. Yeah. And, and I remember early on in a meeting um, with Brian Ellis and, and Diamond McPherson, um, where you know, it was made clear to me that they didn't want a development. They wanted this to be an extension of downtown. Okay, so they didn't want like gates and you come through and you're, I mean, they really wanted it to be, now it could be different, which it is, but you know, the roads connect, you know, there'd be as seamless a connection to downtown as possible. And um, that was um, in 1997, that was interesting direction. And by the way, I welcomed it. <laughs> mm -hmm. so. I'm just thinking generally and all the other projects you've worked on since that arena district plan, are there other things that, um, or are there things now that you think this is an idea that is maybe ahead of its time for Columbus right now, but in 20 years, we'll look back and say, oh, I can't believe that was a challenge to convince people to, I don't know, build, build better mass transit or do something else. Are there other things that you think fit into that category? Yeah, I don't know. You mentioned transit. I think that's clearly one, but, um, you know, I, what, what, there's probably a lot that I don't even know of, you know, because um, I've been cloistered here at the university for the past few years, and you know, I'm not quite as abreast of everything as I as I used to be. But I think Columbus is a is a um, place. What what I've always relished about it is um, it's it's a place where um, ideas can live. Okay. Um, I practiced in Cincinnati for a while. I grew up in Cleveland. Uh, you know, I decided to open a business here um, because, you know, Cincinnati is, um, well, it's, it's Cincinnati. It's a beautiful place, but, you know, you have, to, you have to live and work there for a while to truly understand it. And Cleveland, I just don't want to go back to. But Columbus was more like the Wild West, you know, where I thought you might be able to get a chance here. I didn't know anybody when I opened the business here, you know, just um, chose to come here. And that's been true, you know, and I think it's still true for the city. When we proposed taking a dam out of the river in downtown, okay, and we suggested that, you know, we're going to totally remake a river and return it to its original channel right through the, right through the middle of a major urban American city, okay. Now, that was a little bit of a crazy idea. Okay, but it got done. And that's what I have always admired about the city. You know, I mean, you can, I mean, they don't all happen. And, and some, thankfully, they don't. One time there's ideas of putting monorails through downtown Columbus, that would have been a disaster. You know, I'm really glad that didn't happen. But, you know, 
the river turned out okay. The arena district turned out okay. There's, you know, um, I think the side of Peninsula is going to turn out okay. The work that Guy Worley's doing with the CDDC is amazing. Um, I just, I think, you know, things can happen here that just can't happen elsewhere. Great. I think that's appropriate spot to end the interview. Thanks for talking with me today, Keith. Sure, really happy to do it. it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite educator. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week. Thank you.